the field. Number 197. The one where Jesus gripes at a grieving woman about crying. The Theo Knox Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hey, all you Talithas out there, I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The Theonauts! The Theonauts! What's up, David? How you doing, man? Hey, man, not much. So I didn't catch your blurb. What was what was your blurb? The one where we where Jesus was what? <laughs> Gripes at a woman, a grieving woman for crying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he does in the story we're going to talk yeah. about. I mean, technically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say, shut up, woman! Good. Stop that crying. I know your child just died. I'm gonna have a quit, lot to say quit, about quit balling. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so uh, it may be insensitive of me. We, I'm just hey, I'm just reading it like oh, I no, see it. That's good. all I'm doing. So <laughs> we missed a week. We missed two weeks. What? Did we miss two weeks? We missed two weeks. Uh, why? I think we missed two weeks. Why is this hard? Well, because, you know, you have grandchildren and I have problems. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have as good as excuses as hey, you do, but I still got excuses. Well, but right now we're on. So that's what. Yeah. And that's what matters. Yes. So you Theonaut faithful, hey, at least we're semi-consistent, which is pretty <laughs> awesome considering our track record of two year. years without, yeah. yeah, the past year without doing anything at all. So <laughs> I'm pretty proud of us. I chalk this up as a win, David. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, just yeah. like the uh, the Texas game is pretty much a win. Yeah. Even though we oh, lost. Oh, wow. You got to bring that up. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. One point. Yeah. One point. Yeah. yeah. Alabama <laughs> beat them by one point. I could not believe my eyes. I felt sure <laughs> Alabama was going to sweep in there and make Texas look like the fools wearing orange that they usually look like. No offense. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like how I say a statement like that and then say no offense? It's yeah. like so funny. Yeah, it's Anyways. like, pardon my French, but. <laughs> Y'all suck. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was so enamored by that. I, I was shocked that Texas fought as hard as that. You've got to give that that team serious props for being as hard-nosed and <laughs> faithful as they were cuz that that blows me absolutely away that they were they were that consistent. It's pretty cool. So when are Meanwhile, when are our teams going to be in the SEC? Uh I I predict it's going to be next year, although the actual schedule doesn't say till 2024. I think 
they're going to let them out next year because they want to bring in those other four teams. Yeah. The Big 12 does, and so they'll probably let OU and Texas go ahead and go out. Which is going to be interesting. It's going to be it's going to be fun watching them uh, try to fight through the uh, try to fight through the SEC. It's going to be it's going to be tough. You know, OU has fourteen conference championships, which is more than all the other teams in the Big Twelve combined, right? Since the founding of the Big Twelve, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And this is something that uh, is going to be so hard for OU to be like relinquishing this, you know, glory road that they had. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens, yeah, say the least. We'll see. But so this ain't, this ain't no, uh, this, this ain't no, um, sports talk show. You're so we should Kansas get off of uh, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sports though, I started a fantasy football league with, uh, my church. Yeah. And uh, and so while I'm talking to you, I'm also checking my fantasy <laughs> updates because there's it. a game going on right now. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm losing dun, dun, to dun, one dun, of my dun, dun. oh wait a minute, that's not money. Previous money. seniors in high school, he's kicking my butt right now, and it's really frustrating me because I was talking crap to him all week. So, <laughs> what does the Bible have to say about pride going before destruction? Right. Yes. And a hearty, and a, a hearty spirit, before, a haughty spirit before the fall, before the fall. <laughs> something like that. I'm experiencing that tonight in great ways. So y'all pray for me because I was so proud It'll of my be pick. Good for you to be humble. Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not I'm that the humblest prideful. man just, I know. I'm the humblest <laughs> man I know. That's right. <laughs> so what's going on with you, David? How's life? Oh, it's going pretty good. Uh, I did. I did get to visit with the grandkids this past week. Um, Mandy and Stephen had to to step out and do some things on Thursday night, and so we stayed the evening. And um, you had grandparents' day, didn't you? At school? Yeah, we stayed the night and then got up and. Went to lunch with my grandson Shepherd at his school mm-hmm. for Grandparents' Day. That was fun. And you threw the milk when you weren't supposed to. <laughs> it's the first time I have eaten school cafeteria food, probably since at least junior high, if not before. Like, seriously, I have not had a tray of <laughs> school cafeteria food <laughs> since I was like a kid, like a little kid. And so it was so funny. It was like, I'm sure those people are trying, but you know, it's like, it was pizza day. So I got a slice of pizza. I got a little cup of corn. <laughs> I got a little cup. In one of those little white cups. Yeah. Little, yeah, corn. Those little bitty plastic. <laughs> yeah. like, like you would put a condiment in. Like, <laughs> like it's a, like a jello shot it, of corn. Yeah, it's <laughs> a ketchup. It's like a big ketchup. Uh, just, uh, and you get at Arby's. Like you would like fill this thing up with, with ketchup or horsey sauce, right? This is what <laughs> I got a corn. I got I got a corn shot. And <laughs> and I got a broccoli shot. A broccoli yeah, shot. Yeah, so it was like, a, a shot, like and it wasn't even like broccoli cooked well. Like, you know, normally you would like braise it you know and it had that nice crispy right. thing going no 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 this is like boiled or something where it's just like oh, limp yeah. greens 
in this little shot glass right. of a thing. Yeah. And it disintegrates. And, and then I got to wash all this down with a hearty uh, half pint or not even a half pint. Was it a quarter pint of milk? A little bit of cartons of milk. Chocolate sure. milk. Yeah. Ooh. And, and nice. a half an orange for dessert. And in the recess. So what do you think of our nutritional values? Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> And then, of course, it's a complete balance. The field. recess bell rang before I yeah. could even finish eating that. Like I was like, "How do these? <laughs> how are these kids eating?" And Shepard's like, "Let's go to the playground." I'm like, okay, I didn't finish my shot of corn. <laughs> you just throw it <laughs> back, throw it and back and get up and go. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was and you fun. saw a sign that said, "Don't throw the milk," and you were. <laughs> Standing there, yeah, I loved it. David, David does this whole thing where he has to show people that he does. I do what I want. He doesn't follow the rules. He does what he wants. Yeah. So he takes a video of himself tossing the milk up and down right in front of that sign. <laughs> the sign said, "No tossing of milk, no flipping of milk, no sitting on your milk." <laughs> it said, "No sitting yes, on one your of them milk." Said, no sitting on your milk. So I want to know the story behind that. <laughs> Who was the kid that sat on his milk that caused that yeah, sign to be made? Yeah, because these signs aren't just random thoughts. Like, hey, maybe we should <laughs> we should prevent the kids from sitting on their milk. No, this is born out of experience. So, so, yeah. so something happened. I don't know what it was, but I'm sure it caused a scandal in the cafeteria that day. <laughs> Dang it, Johnny. <laughs> now we have to put no sitting on How your milk in the side. How many times do I have to tell you? Quit sitting on the milk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So anyway, there's a sign. It's posted right there in the on the lid of the milk place where you get the... It's like a little icebox right. full of milk. <laughs> and the sign is right there. And I was reading that, and I was like, all right, Melanie, film me doing this. <laughs> Started flipping the milk. I should have sat on it. That's what it should have been. Yeah, you totally should have sat on it. You would have gone TikTok famous if you would have put that on TikTok. I'm telling you right now. We'd be rolling in the TikTok followers. We should have a Theonauts TikTok, by the way. I don't want the Chinese government in on our Theonauts. Oh, wow. What a conspiracy theorist. Ain't no Chinese government listening to TikTok. Oh man, you should go check that out. Like seriously, it it is owned by the the Communist Party has like a share in it. Like they're and you think about it, all of our all of our troops, all these young kids on TikTok, man, they the Chinese government knows where all our soldiers are because they're on TikTok. Okay, hold on. So like even if it wasn't owned by China, it's on the web. So anybody can access no, it at there, any time. There, there's metadata in it besides just the post. Like what they're posting doesn't matter. What matters oh, really? is the metadata that shows where they're located while they're posting it, um, what they're doing as far as huh. are they driving, are they walking. I mean, all this stuff is captured in those apps. That's creepy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, That's enough to make the, me want to go Go dark. read the privacy policy on TikTok. You'll love it. <laughs> it basically says, we get all your stuff. We get it. we get it all, even stuff that's not in the app. <laughs> wow! Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Worse than Facebook? Well, 
it's probably not any more invasive than Facebook, but at least Facebook's an American-owned company, you know. So yeah, that's true. All right, I digress from my conspiracy conspiracy theories. Do you <laughs> <laughs> you want to dive into this subject? Hey, let's do it, man. So, you know, last time I, I kind of did my study on here, we talked about, um, it was further up in Mark, right? Yeah. Or it was the ba- baptism. We were doing about the baptism of John the Baptist. I mean, yeah. it's the very first yeah, chapter yeah. of Mark. So I've been doing this very slow burn walk through the book of Mark. So And, so, and when something jumps out at me, like a Theo nugget, I want to like share it. So... There's, <laughs> there's plenty of Theo Nuggets in this uh, particular <laughs> passage. We're dropping Theo Nuggets all the yeah, time. So uh, <laughs> follow along with me, brothers and sisters, as we turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark, Mark chapter, chapter five. 5, verses 21 through 43. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. <laughs> Do you so, want me to read it? Well, let me kind of give oh, us a, give me some, a, a little context. Okay, go ahead. So, um, so one of the things I've been picking up on a lot is in, in Mark is, well, for one, it's very interesting how Mark is just, you know, br- blowing through the stories. Like he, d- oh, he yeah. doesn't spend a lot of time in each one of these stories. He's like, Jesus went here, then he went there, and then he did this, and he <laughs> cast out that demon, and then moved on. Like, I mean, he's just like blowing through it all. And yeah. one of the things I think that uh, Mark is is doing in all of this is he's showing us how Jesus is a servant to us. Mm. Like, there's tons of healings in this first part of Mark. And uh, he goes through, there's this, like, running thing where Mark is constantly saying, and Jesus was trying to get away, but he couldn't. And then Jesus went right. up into the mountain to get away from everybody. But then they found him. Then Jesus yeah. was being pressed by the crowd so hard he had to get into the boat. <coughs> like, yeah. like there's constantly this this sense of of uh, frenetic type of energy happening. Like yeah. Jesus is overwhelmed from his human standpoint, overwhelmed to capacity. Like even whenever he names the twelve, it's almost like if, like I kind of read it like he's saying. Jesus is like, I can't do all this by myself. I need you guys to do some healing too. So I'm going to name 12 of you guys. And we're going to, like, it's almost reads like that's part of his reasoning was, you know, that he needed sure. some help. And, uh, and it continues even after this story. But anyway, there's all these other things. Mark is also really good about, he loves the word immediately. <laughs> like, then immediately this happened and immediately that happened. So as we go through this text, you'll see, some of that happening. Yeah. At one point I went through and I counted all the times it said immediately in Mark whenever <laughs> I was in, I think high school is I was just so blown away by that, the frenetic energy, mm-hmm. you know, the frantic movement of Mark. And I think, so, um, I think that, uh, the Bible, uh, <laughs> guys, I don't, uh, um, the Bible project. Oh yeah. You know those yes. guys. 
I love those guys. They do a really good job of explaining Mark. You should, uh, you Theo not guys should go out and watch that video because he shows the first eight chapters are pretty much dealing with the question, who is Jesus? Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's showing him to be the servant, which is exactly what you pointed out. But it's also showing him as somebody who was running away from the crowds. And I think the main reason was is because they were expecting a conquering Messiah. Yeah. And that's not who he was. And I think Mark is trying to show that out mm-hmm. by showing that he has to continually get away from these people. Yeah. And just focus on his disciples. And spoiler alert, I don't know if I'm going to talk about this story, but, you know, even whenever we get further down to the part where Jesus is walking on the water, like it Mm -hmm. says, and I think this is the only, that's in three of the four Gospels, right? But I think Mark is the only one that gives us this little piece of insight. It said, Jesus went out walking on the water and he was going to pass them by. Like, like he knew they were there. They knew they were struggling, but he was going to just keep on walking. Like his, his thought was taking me a nice stroll out here on the sea, getting away from everybody. (laughs) But then they were afraid and thought he was a ghost. And so he stepped in and did the thing. So, uh, (laughs) but anyway, so this story, so don't focus on, on the story of Jairus's daughter, and the woman with the quote-unquote issue of blood. <clears throat> right. Because there are some cool things happening in this story. I'm going to call it a story because it's a single story that includes two different healings. And, yep. um, and there's some powerful stuff happening uh, in the middle of it. So... Um, <clears throat> One of the things I was thinking of as we got to this was, you know, in the end of the book of John, John makes this like kind of um, um, sidebar statement. He says, and Jesus did many other things, but if we were to write them all down, the world could not contain it. You know, Right. And, and so, uh, so that's that I've been thinking about that a lot because whenever we go through and we hear stories that are in the gospel writings, it's almost like, okay, these were hand chosen stories. Like there yeah. was all these other things that happened, but for some reason through the Holy spirit, the authors felt these were important stories that needed to be told. And so I thought about that in reference to this particular story, because there's so many layers in this, right. in this uh, story. It does so many things. So let's start with Mark chapter five and read verse 21 to 24. If you've got, if you've okay. got me. Absolutely. It says this. And when Jesus had crossed, Oh yeah. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Okay, so this is another good example of Jesus moving from place to place. They sail back and forth across the sea several times, and it's almost like he's trying to get away from people. 
But right, he's going back and forth yes. over and over again. It's pretty <clears throat> so they come to this area, and immediately everyone's like, "It's Jesus!" And they run over there. Right? <laughs> he's back. Yes. So, um, but here's a, a really cool thing. I want to talk about Jairus for a second. It gives us a little bit of information about him. A, he's a ruler of a synagogue. That's mm-hmm. not your typical Jesus follower. So even Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night, right? Like, <laughs> he's like, I'm not going right. to be seen out in the daytime with him. And um, so he's the, so he's, he's, he's in league with the Pharisees, the teachers, the scribes, all those type of people. The people that really have nothing good to say about Jesus, right? Right. But now you got this ruler here. He shows up, falls at Jesus' feet. And why? Because he's got a little girl who is dying. Yeah. Amazing what a personal potential tragedy can do to faith. <laughs> yep. I mean... He may have even been convicted to stand against Jesus until this point. Until this point, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it, okay. It says that he's one of the rulers of the synagogue, and they're they're in and around Capernaum, right mm-hmm. here. So, I mean, this is the same exact place where you read a couple chapters before <clears throat> how Jesus is called Matthew. Right, and he's partying with the tax collectors and the sinners at Matthew's house, <laughs> and the religious leaders come by and scoff at him and question him about hanging out with the sinners and the tax collectors. This is the same place where uh, a chapter before that you read about uh, the healing of the paralytic and these religious leaders. Um, questioning on whose authority are you doing this, right? Or who who are you teaching by and and questioning in their hearts, how can this man uh, say, you know, your sins are forgiven? Mm. So he's definitely <laughs> part of that sect. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the religious leaders of the synagogue um, in Capernaum. Mm-hmm. So who knows? I mean, but... I mean, more than likely, he was part of that group that had been discounting Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So it's really odd that he, A, he shows up in broad daylight to do this. B, he falls down at Jesus' feet. Feet, Like yeah. his complete submission. And yep. Jesus is impressed by it. Jesus says, I will follow him. He, and he, he goes with mm-hmm. him. Um, so... This shows great faith. Like there's, like, like this tragedy has brought this man to faith because he's seen what Jesus can do, and he may right. have even been one of the ones to witness the paralytic. Like, who knows? Right. So, um, I also want to point out the fact that the text didn't need to give us his name. There are many such stories just like this where we don't know the names of the people. We hear we hear a paralytic. It's exactly right. We, even l- a little yeah. bit later, we get this woman with the issue of blood. We don't get her name. Like right. Th- there's a lot of times when names aren't used. Uh, they choose to, to to put this name in here. In fact, it's almost parenthetical because it says, uh, "Then one of the rulers came of the 
then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Like, it's almost mm-hmm. like, we want to make sure you know his name. Um, yeah. So if you look up Jairus and, and see what his name means, his name means Ooh. one enlightened by God. What? <laughs> and so... Uh, That's something new for me. I'd never heard... I'd never looked... I'd never thought to look it so, up. Yeah, and so there's all kinds of good, That's st- good stuff coming in relation to his name. So... So let's put a pin in that one and and keep going. So look at verse 25 to 26. Okay. Um, uh, Did I finish 24? Oh, no. Go ahead. Yeah, let me read 24 through 26. It says, And Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Okay. So all of a sudden interruption, there's a dire need yeah. happening. Let's not forget that this right. is a dire need. The guy's like, my daughter's on the verge of death. I really need you to come. Jesus is like, well, let's go. And, and they yeah. take off, right? All of a sudden, we're going to find an interruption here. So let's talk a little bit about the woman that and her situation. Uh, well, first off, there was a huge crowd that thronged him. That's common. That's what, we, what I was talking about. There's all he keeps getting like inundated with people everywhere he's going. And so it wouldn't have been easy for anyone particular to get to him. Um, but we see this woman, um, it, it, when, I, when, I, when I have read this passage in the past, I've never really connected her story with the story of Jairus. She always just yeah. seemed like an interruption. Right, an aside. Yeah, like, yeah, like a sidebar comment. Like, oh, and by the way, on the way, yeah. this thing happened. Yeah. But what I'm what I'm going to start to look at here is how these stories are not only connected, they are vastly intertwined. Um, so it said that this woman had an issue of blood, which yeah. meant she had this continual menstrual bleeding issue, and it had been going on for twelve years. Now, again, every time you get a number or a name or anything like that in Scripture, the light bulb should come, the flag should go up. Okay, there's something under the text here that's trying to be said. So why tell us how long she's had this issue? She's had it for 12 years. Well, 12 is an important number in Scripture. 12 is a governmental number. It's a number that... Um, that has to do with authority. It has to do with, with uh, that's why we have 12 tribes of Israel. That's why we have uh, 12 apostles. There's a governmental authority ship around. So we can maybe even say she was under the authority of this issue of blood uh, com- huh. so completely. So um, it says that she spent all her money with physicians, so it means she's poor. She doesn't have right. she doesn't have anything now. She's she's been trying to do it herself through physicians and whatever, and nothing's worked. 
She has an issue, an issue of blood, <laughs> and it can't be healed no matter how hard she tries. So I, I think you're going to see where, where we're going here in a minute. Like this, we are a picture of this woman. Like we do have an issue of blood. We do have blood on our hands. We are guilty, right? And no matter... Oh, that's good. And yeah. we're under the authority of it. Like, just like she right. Like, we're captured by our sinful nature. And so, no matter how hard we try, we can't fix that problem on our own. Like, we are completely useless to it. Uh, like, what was it? Helpless. The Jonathan, yeah, and it doesn't matter how much we spend yeah. or how... How many physicians we see, we're still going to have the blood issue. That's good. So what is yeah, the Jonathan Edwards that. quote? The only thing you've contributed to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Like, right. that's, that's kind of, um, of where she is, too, right? She, she, she's, been, she ha, she's not necessarily, there's nothing here to indicate that she's a good person or a well-behaved person or anything like that that's going to get her right. healed. Um, right. But in fact, she's actually a lawbreaker. We, we know that because she's in the crowd. Now, if we, go, if we right. go to Leviticus, Leviticus 15, 25 to 27, so interesting that this very specific issue is covered in Leviticus. It says, if a woman yeah, it is. has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge shall be continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as a bed of impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whosoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until evening. So she's in a state where she can't leave the house legally. She can't be in contact with anybody legally. Right. The fact that she's in the crowd makes her a trespasser of the law if we're going by letter of the law, but, yeah. but yet here she is. Um, so being homebound, how does she even know who Jesus is? She never mm. really sat at his feet, obviously, unless she was always out and about and just breaking the law. Left right. Right, which could be, <laughs> but who knows? I, I kind of assume she was indoors and shunned from people as you would expect. And therefore, Never got to really hear Jesus speak himself. It would have been word of mouth. It would have been, um, it would have been hearing others teach about Jesus that leads her to faith, that leads her yeah. to a place. So again, I want to draw the comparison of us to her. We don't get the, the privilege of sitting at Jesus' feet and actually listening to him teach anymore. We're reading Mark's rendition of what happened, right? We're reading John, we're reading uh, Luke and Matthew. We're, we're reading all these things from a third party, right. which draws us to faith. And so kind of a similar thing happening 
uh, huh. with her. So it's a good thought. Let's look at uh, verse 27 and 28. Okay. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. <laughs> okay, so um, this is crazy faith, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, not only did she have faith, she had a really crazy faith. Because she, she was like, I don't need to get his, audi- his attention. I don't really need to uh, get audience with him. Uh, I don't even need to ask him. I'm going to steal this. <laughs> like she is un she's she's like going to unknowingly reach up and touch his garments. Now, if 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 I were to at, been asked to quote this passage from memory, I probably would have said if I touched the hem of his garments. Because I've heard that so much, right? Right. But yet the passage doesn't really say that. It doesn't say that in in any of the Gospels. It just says, touch his clothes, touch his garments, whatever. But I think what makes us say that is that uh, a few chapters later here in Mark, we'll see Jesus once again being thronged by people, and a lot of sick people are reaching for his clothes. And in that case, it says that many of them were reaching for the fringe of his garment, the hem of his garment. Yep. Because of the story, I believe. Like, I, I think she was a trendsetter. Oh, yeah. So I do believe she is reaching for just the fringe, just the hem of his garment, even though it doesn't come right out and expressly, you know, say that. I think it's implied later on. But she says that that's all I need is to touch his garments. So I want to talk a little bit about his garments. He's a rabbi. Yep. One of the common things that all rabbis wore at all times when they were, they were in public was a prayer shawl, right. also known in their tongue as the talit. As the what? Talit. Okay. So the, the talit uh, was white generally, and it had markings on it. It had like blue stripes on it and stuff like this. Um, one of the important parts, most important parts of the prayer shawl was in the corners, these tassels would be left and they would tie little knots into the tassels and each little knot kind of represented a commandment of God. Right. So whenever the rabbi would pray, he would, he would touch and feel these knots as he stepped through them. It was very similar to what modern day Catholics do with the rosary. Right. So yeah. it was very litur- liturgical, you know, they're they're stepping through their prayers by using these knots. So these knots were considered even uh the most holy part of their of their garment because it was representative of the law of God. And so I believe that this woman was reaching for that. Like that's what she was thinking because they're flying about behind him, right? as he's walking hurriedly mm-hmm. trying to get to Jairus's daughter. And she's like, all I got to do is touch that little flappy thing that's coming off of him. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's, there is another euphemism that the Hebrews would use for those, uh, 
fringes of th- those tassels of the tallit. Let me guess. Wings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the wings of the tallit is That's right. a Hebrew euphemism. And so maybe, just maybe, this woman is, is uh, versed enough in her Old Testament, her, her scriptures, that she would call to mind Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. One of the very, very last passages of of the Tanakh, of the Old Testament. Right. And it's a mess- messianic prophecy. Yes. And so do you have that up? Do you know what it says? Uh, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise up with healing in its wings. <laughs> right. And you will go out leaping like calves from the stall. Calves from Woo! the stall. Hallelujah, <laughs> like that's <laughs> like it's it's um it's a passage of joy and healing and yes. um, and she sees this man she believes to be the son of righteousness, as proclaimed in Malachi, mm-hmm. walking past with his wings flapping behind him, and she says, if I can just touch the wings, there are healing, there's healing in his wings, that will make me whole. And so I think there's some depth here that as we dive into the Hebrew uh, culture and the the religious practices, we kind of get a clearer idea or clearer picture of why she would be reaching for the hem of his garment and, and... and having that faith that it would heal me. Like why would she just attribute healing to his clothes arbitrarily? It's, it's almost like she's really leaning on Malachi four and believes wholeheartedly. This is the son of righteousness. Right. So she's literally uh, looking for healing in his wings. Um, That's beautiful. It's such a beautiful picture of faith, too. Oh, yes. I mean, she truly believes this to the point, and and she is desperate. I mean, this woman is desperate Mm -hmm. enough to do anything, and so she hears about his healing, and she thinks, if I can just touch his hymn, I can can be healed. And and think about that. Like, we, if we can just touch his words, if we can just touch his, you know— he 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 uses the term gathering us under his wing and things of this nature. So um right. if we could just touch that we have healing. Like we're we're very much like her in mm-hmm. our helpless, uh desperate state and what he can do for us. Um That's the truth. And so we reach out for him. Um okay, let's look at verse twenty nine to thirty four. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. <laughs> okay, so so much good stuff happening yeah. in in this passage. So um, so interesting. He felt he he felt his righteousness extended out into somebody else. Like yeah. he physically felt it. That's kind of cool to me. Like I don't. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was like spider sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so I think I think he's so in tune with the Holy Spirit. Mm. I think this is a beautiful picture of the triune God here because he's so in tune with the Holy Spirit that he literally feels when the Holy Spirit moves from him into another. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Or to heal another, which is... To me, that's so powerful and a beautiful picture, you know, of his of his powerfulness as, you know, God the Son, mm-hmm. and having that kind of connection with God the Holy Spirit, and and also think about the love that He feels for us, like He takes time yeah. for everybody, like this is this is time that they can't afford, like they are in a rush to get to a life and death situation, right? And all of a sudden, there's this interruption, and as it says here, she gave him the whole story. They spent some time talking about what was going on, and I think that was important to Jesus. He he wanted to see her. He wanted her to see him. Yeah. Look right in my face. Like, right. look at me. Yes, your faith has done this. And um, and it's like this, this touch of love. There, he calls her daughter here which is a unique mm-hmm. term of endearment to Jesus. In fact, Je- Jesus doesn't call any other woman daughter in the New Testament. Like, wow. No this is the only place. And I find that intriguing given what his current job was to do. What was he going Where was he going? He was going. He was going to heal a daughter. He was going to heal a daughter, right? Yeah. And he almost like superimposes that onto her, showing that she's just yep. as important as the daughter he was going after. And so he uses this great term of endearment and says, "Daughter, your faith has has made you well." Um, well, which I think is is just. Um, amazing, especially given that everyone in the pre- in that presence wouldn't have understood. They probably were wondering, come on, Jesus, come on, come on, come on. And even me reading this in years past, I've always kind of thought, why would Jesus tally like or Terry? Like he's he's um, he's wasting time. Right. It's like, OK, <laughs> heal her and be gone. Go, 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 go. And yeah. um and I'm sure that's what everyone around him is thinking. But then again, it's almost like Jesus does things in his own time. He does things um, for the glorification of God. Like even whenever you think about his friend dying, Lazarus, and he, and he tarried there too. Why? So a greater thing could happen. Right. And I, I think that's such a big deal. I've heard people say that, Jesus, you know, he didn't care about the time because he it was going to get done. But my thinking is is that Jesus 
planned. He he carried he he planned these things out so well mm. that even more glory would be brought <laughs> to himself and to God the Father, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if he just healed a sick girl, that's one thing. If you bring a girl back from the dead, oh yeah. That's something entirely different. The <laughs> same thing with Lazarus. Next level. When you think of the healing of Lazarus, mm-hmm. same exact thing. Yep. That was his purpose. It was his reason. And it so. and, and in the meantime, he got to bless this woman uh with his presence and with it, it and with his um like I'm not just satisfied with the fact that you got the healing from my wings. I want you to know that I see you. I want you to know that I that there's a relationship here. It's more than just you touching my clothes. And, right, that's a big deal. And I think that's that's part of why um, he does what he does here. Um, sure. I mean, it's just it, it's just pretty beautiful to me. So um, uh, there was one other thing that I was gonna uh, say about this. Maybe it'll come to me here in a minute. Oh, well, for one, uh, she came in fear and trembling, <laughs> fell down. Why? Yeah. Because she's not supposed to be there. <laughs> right. And lawbreaker, sinner. <laughs> yep. And yeah, now she has to admit it in front of everybody. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, I bet she was used used to sneaking around. Mm. Not, You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's a big deal. Oh, so. I know what I was going to say. This is another unique thing that happens in, in all of Scripture. This is the only indirect healing that happens with Jesus. Every other case, he, it's either asked for or he has compassion on them and goes to them. Like, and it's yep. initiated by one party or the other, and Jesus is uh, willfully involved in it. And some could argue he's willfully involved with this one, but... A plain reading of the text tells us not necessarily. Like, right? I just think that's a unique thing. This is the one, the one miracle we get where someone took it upon themselves to kind of snatch a healing out of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the fact that he loves her anyway. Like that doesn't it has no impact on his response. Right. It's, he has a loving response. This is a really good. A picture of his character, mm. of his, you know, of, of who he is as a person, um, and his grace and his love. Yes, and um, his patience. And... Okay, so right. let's look at 35 and 36. I'm about to get some bad news. All right. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear, only believe. Okay. Oh, so there's still, man, so much good things happening, like plays on words and sentences. What is it they say to the ruler? The first words out of their mouth, your daughter's dead. What was the thing Jesus just got through saying? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Like this daughter thing. It's like important yeah. in the tying of the two right. stories together. And, and I was just struck whenever I'm reading this about the insensitivity 
of the of the messengers. <laughs> yeah. They're like, all right, leave Jesus alone now. Your daughter's dead anyway. Dude, you might as well give it up. <laughs> like, come yeah. on. Who does this? She, she gone. She yeah, gone. She's dead. <laughs> you might as well yeah. leave the master alone. Leave the, leave the teacher alone. Let him do his own thing. I think right. the reason why this is given to us in this fashion and why we see uh, the nature of the people coming to him is because it's a picture of Jairus' type of people, right? They are consumed with law. They're consumed with order. They're consumed with their own self-righteousness. They have little care for others. They have little compassion. And that is exemplified so well here with their friend, right? They came from his house. Yep. And tells him, oh, brother, I'm so sorry. Your daughter passed. No. (laughs) Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Like, that's where you go? (laughs) But I think it's a good picture of, I think it's intentionally done that way to show us what type of people he and his people are. The people that are in his house, what they're like. They are the antithesis of what Jesus is. Jesus is all about love and compassion and overriding the law. This woman broke the law. He never says a word about it. Doesn't condemn her, nothing. In fact, he lets her off the hook completely and praises her for it because it led to her faith. That's right. And this is is Jesus' MO so far in Mark. Mm -hmm. Over and over again, there's these little things about the law that his disciples aren't following, like picking the heads off of of grain, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. as as they're walking through the fields on the Sabbath. How dare Even they? With unwashing or, hands. I'm, yeah, washing their hands. All these things, and and uh, and Jesus is—he doesn't give a flip about that stuff. No. He's—he he does. He's interested in people's hearts, and it's easy to see through this statement where these people's hearts are. Now, right. with that being said, this is why I said I believe. Jairus probably was just as condemning of Jesus as everybody else until his daughter got sick um, because of the people he's hanging with. Look, look how they're acting. And I'm sure he was, he was very much the same being the ruler of this synagogue. And, um, right. And so I love what Jesus does. He turns to the one guy. He turns to Jairus. Remember what Jairus' yep. name is. The one who is enlightened by God. He turns mm. to the one who's to be enlightened by God and says, do not fear. Only right. believe. Only believe. So, if we had a dollar for every time Jesus says, do not fear. <laughs> like, mm. do not fear is one of his... Go-to phrases. Stop that. Quit worrying. Quit fearing. Only believe. So he's working on Jairus. He's he's working on him. He knows where Jairus' heart was, and he is plowing that field. And it's even a bigger issue to him than Jairus' daughter. Mm -hmm. 
do you see that? I mean, this is a this is a big deal that that Jairus gets to understand and believe who Jesus is. Yes, it's huge. Yes, because it's gonna like completely. You know, he's 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 gonna be a different person when this story is through. Right. Part of me thinks the reason another reason he stopped um, to converse with that that woman with the issue of blood was to allow Jairus to see truly who he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right and allow Jairus to get over the fear, and to allow Jairus to believe in him. Yeah, which is a beautiful and, picture. And, and he's like, he's got all this noise in the way. He's got the type mm-hmm. of people that would come in and say, "Your daughter's dead. Leave the teacher alone." He's he's surrounded by those type of people, and in the midst of that, he's saying, "Ignore the white noise. Ignore yep. them." Don't listen to them. Listen to me. Look, focus. Look at me, which it seems to be Jesus's thing too. He wants to like. He wants you to look right at him and believe. So let's look yep. at verse thirty-seven through forty. Okay, and it says, "And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James." And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. (laughs) Okay. So... I want to start with this little thing about Peter, James, and John. It's very interesting. Okay, so so Jesus has this little close group, this this inner circle, that he always pulls aside for certain special things. And I saw a study the other day that just kind of blew my mind about this. Because, for one, why the text bothers to tell us this, I think it's very interesting because every time... This happens. Every time Jesus grabs these three guys, it's an important thing that's happening, and it, they're always listed in the exact same order. Peter, right. James, and then John. And it doesn't John. say John, James, mm-hmm. and Peter. It doesn't say James, Peter, and John. It doesn't. Every single time, it's Peter, and James, and John. So, yep. you know how the Hebrews love names? They love Hidden meanings, they love all this sort of thing. So let's look at what Peter's name means, what James's name means, and what John's name means. Peter, as we very well know, means a rock, rock. stone. Um, and Jesus uses that to his advantage in uh, Matthew 16 and you know the, the whole um, keys of the kingdom thing. So right. uh, but James's name means to usurp or to overthrow or to be overthrown. John, his name means grace. Hmm. So you could read their names in this order to say the stone will be usurped by grace. Now think about the times Jesus brings these three guys out. And we get the names. We get it at the Mount of Transfiguration. Right. The status quo, the stone, the things that are, <coughs> are, are going to be overthrown by grace. 
We have it happening at the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. And I think this is a very important place because what are these people? They're stones. They're heart of. They're hearts of stone. Like they they've got no grace in their hearts. Right. And they're about to to be completely overthrown by grace, by yeah. unmerited favor. And so, so, he, so first off, we, he grabs those guys and says, and then they came to the house of the ruler and he saw the commotion. He saw everybody weeping and crying. And when he entered, he, he makes this statement, you know, they're not, quit crying. She's, she's not really dead. And here's the, another heart of stone craziness. They laughed at him. Yeah, they laughed uh, at some, him. Some translations say they mocked him. Okay, I thought you were mourners. <laughs> what? Okay, so let's look at the, the Hebrew culture just a little bit. Oh, yeah. These, these were professional mourners. Like, right. You're ex- they, they were bought. Yeah, you're yep. expected to wail and scream and tear your clothes in moments like this. It's not heartfelt. Their hearts aren't broken. They are simply doing what they're supposed to do at the death of a friend's child. And that is right. wail and scream and cause a commotion. The mother's probably the exception <laughs> to the rule. <laughs> it cracks me up. So, <laughs> but, the, but the people that are around him, the people that Jesus is actually interested in kicking out, <laughs> they, they are fa- false. They're phonies. They're, they're hypocrites. They're not they're right. not really like this shows they turned around and went from weeping and crying and making a noise to laughing at Jesus. Yep. So this tells you that their hearts are completely hardened. Like they're not in this moment. They're not in the game. And I love this. I, it just simply says, but he put them outside. Yep. Now he removes them. The Greek word underneath that put them out, put them all outside, is the same phrase that's used when Jesus cast out demons. Wow. I just think that's so good. Like all authority. Cast them out. All authority is on him. And he's like, nope, I need you out of here right now. And throws them all out of the house, except for the child's father and mother and those that were with him. And he went in where the child was. So, again, he's getting the distractions out of the way. He's bringing Jairus into the fold to show them how the stone is going to be usurped by grace, how things are about to get flipped on on their ear. Their head, yep. Mm -hmm. So, let's go ahead and read uh, the last few verses, 41 to 43. Okay. Taking her by the hand... He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. <laughs> and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so good. Okay, so... There's a couple things that blow me away by this. I 
So first off, uh, Mark's humanness. Uh-huh. I think he's he's writing this so fast that he stops in the middle of the end, and he goes, "Oh yeah, they're probably going to think that she was some kind of baby or something." Mm. So I need to remind. I, I need to let them know that she was like twelve. Mm-hmm. That's the reason she's walking. <laughs> no, this isn't another miracle, right? She's not just really. The other thing that blows me away is he strictly charged them that no one should know this. How in the world are they going to keep that charge? I don't know. She, she's a dead girl. <laughs> they they had mourners there. And now she's she's are they going to keep her in, in hiding for the rest of her life? Honestly, like I think there was a lie happening here. I I think <laughs> because he tells everybody. Was he tell them when they laughed at him? The child's not dead, but, but sleeping. sleeping. So I think he wants them to deny the re- this is a resurrection. Like he's oh he's and say keep, yeah keep he was right this. she was just asleep yeah which yeah. It, which brings in why would Jesus tell people to lie uh, okay look that makes you if you're in that boat you're one of these guys that he's talking that he just kicked <laughs> out of the house you're more concerned yeah, about law keeping than the grace that is about to usurp it usurp it and take control yeah. like Jesus needed a ministry that was going to be about love and grace and he need and he couldn't do that if he's going to be cut short at this point when a Lazarus yep. comes along different story end of the end of the ministry right. things were were in a place where that could happen but not right now yep so uh oh let's see where do I start first off taking her by the hand he said to her Talitha Kumi which means mm. little girl I say to you arise now let's let's remember that we're reading English translated from Greek Hmm. That means this word Talitha Kumi is not Greek. Talitha Kumi is Aramaic. This is the original language of Jesus. And you get this every now and then in scripture. So uh, we can, we can debate later on whether or not the, the Aramaic Peshitta or the Greek manuscripts came first. (laughs) That that can be debated (laughs) later, but, but let's assume that the writer here of Mark was fluent in Greek and writing in Greek while he was writing this. Why? Why leave an untranslated phrase and then in Greek tell you what it means? What it means. Yeah. So this happens several times in Scripture, and I believe there is a very important reason for it. I don't know what that important reason is completely I just know I'm fascinated every time I see the original language preserved all the way from what was spoken on the ground to what was written in the Greek manuscript to what then ended up in our English translations. Sometimes some English translations lose some of this. Like they don't they don't preserve the Aramaic, which I think is a bad idea because it was obviously the writer's intent to preserve the original language for some reason. Now, do right. I have a theory on this one? You bet I do. <laughs> okay, so he says Talitha Kumi, and then he translates it for yep. us. He tells us what it means. It means little girl. I say to you, arise. Mark's not lying to us. That's what Talitha Kumi means in Aramaic. However, Aramaic and Hebrew are very, very close. And one of the things that 
both Hebrew and Aramaic were really, really big on, as we've already been talking about, is wordplay. Wordplay and a lot of the wordplay in Hebrew we lose, especially in the Psalms. And there's all this really cool stuff happening in the original language that we lose in translation. And so I think that Mark was afraid this little play on words that happens here would get lost if he didn't hmm. leave the Aramaic in there. So Talitha, it means little one, little girl, little daughter. I mean, it can mean all of that. Um, right. But it is also the feminine form of the word Talit. So... We talked about the woman who was healed by the issue of blood and more than likely what it was she touched that did the healing or that that she was looking to touch to get the healing. The wings, the right. healing in the wings, the talit. And here you have a feminine version of the same word, talitha. Talit. So now you can go find all this debate online about whether or not talitha also means a uh, little girl under the talit. I've, I've seen that. I've seen people saying it could be translated that so that it means Jesus put the talit over her and used over it her. as part of the, of the resurrection process. And I don't think the original language, from what I can tell, I'm not an expert, <laughs> but from all the resources I looked at, it appears that's probably not completely true. It's just a word that's uh, like a homophone. So you got there, there, and there, right? In English. Right, yeah. So it's a word that has a feminine form of the other word. So yeah. it's a play on words because of the spelling and because of the pronunciation of it. But it really just means little girl. Right. But all the more reason to leave the Aramaic here so you can look at it and see, oh, that's a feminine version of Talit. Like, wow. Like, it's a link back to the other story. Like, it's saying... Right, remember what, it's a link. Remember what happened here? Well, it's happening here. Remember he called her daughter, and this is a daughter? You see this? Remember how long did that woman have the issue of blood? 12 years. Oh, yeah, let's parenthetically tell the audience she got up because <laughs> she was 12 years old. Right. What? Okay, so that means <laughs> the little girl, the, the year the little girl was born, the woman's issue of blood began. When the, when the little girl died, the woman was healed. And then the little girl was resurrected. You huh. see kind of a pattern happening here? So, G wow. so if we... If we want to look at this in the terms of models and that sort of thing, we very much identify with that woman with the issue of blood in that this blood has authority over us and we are lost in it and unclean. We can't, we can't uh, legally match the law. And so what right. happens, Jesus comes in and dies. We get the healing out of the death and then Jesus is resurrected. The little girl dies. The woman gets the healing. And then the little girl is resurrected. Like, wow. Like there's this model happening here. 
And it's like, what in the world? Like I, <laughs> so many layers of thought happening in here. Yeah. It says, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Okay, so I want to think about that statement just for a minute. They were overcome with amazement. What does Jairus' name mean? <laughs> the one who is enlightened by enlightened. God. Jesus yep. had been trying to work and plow that soil all the way from the shore to the house. So much right. so that he's casting out the demons that are laughing and getting them out of the way so that he can do this. And then they immediately, again, that immediately is all over the place. And they were oh, immediately yeah. overcome. Overcome. With amazement. Yep. Wow. Isn't that so fascinating? It's pretty powerful. And then you've got this last thing here. <laughs> he charged them that, you know, no one should know this. And yeah. he told them to give her something to eat. Which is a symbol of completion. Mm-hmm. Right? Whenever Jesus is resurrected, the thing that he does to prove it to his disciples <laughs> is that he physically eats. Yes. Right? Yes. He cooks fish and eats it in front of them. Yes. Which, so this is a, this is a picture of completion that she is fully restored <laughs> to health. And it's a perfect picture. If she is a type of Christ, right. then... She is resurrected, and she gets something to eat, just like Jesus is resurrected, yep. and he goes and gets something to eat. Uh, yep. I just love that. Plus, uh, you could also look at it in terms of her death. Her resurrection is also uh, akin to our uh, death and our resurrection in Christ. And what do we need after that? Discipleship. We need right. that spiritual that, spiritual that food. spiritual meat that's that's given to us. So there's all kinds of layers happening. I just find this story so stinking amazing. Like it just yeah. blows me away. So super powerful. As you beautiful as you comb through your scriptures, look for those Aramaic words. See if you can figure out why. Because <laughs> it's not just Mark, <laughs> man. It's it's a uh, the most popular one probably is Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani. Right. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, why are all these words preserved for us? Um, it's very intriguing. It usually gives deeper, deeper, you know, Scripture can go deep. Yep. This is it. This is a great picture of it. Wow. So that is my Amazing study, study of David. the evening. Thank you so much for that. That's huge. Yeah, lots of fun. You want to uh, you want to do some Christian news real quick? Oh, do we have enough yeah, time? Yeah, we do. Hang on one second here. I don't even know where my news. Oh, here it is. Oh, yeah. And now the news. Now the news. So I have one story coming out today from news, and then I got some uh, church history, but. Uh, it, it's kind of uh, blows me away. They did a research on Christians and tithing. David, <laughs> do you believe that tithing ten percent is the Christian thing to do? <laughs> I believe it's more than ten percent. <laughs> <laughs> Have we ever done a theonauts on tithing? Um, by the way, no. 
But here's the thing. We should I don't want to bind do anybody legally. And that's one of the things that I think is important to understand about time. So yeah, I think we need to look There's at no that law. and look at the history and 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 look at the the actual mm-hmm. the theology behind the whole idea of a tithe mm-hmm. or 10%. So a majority of pastors, a new study finds uh, don't believe that Christians should tithe 10%. Uh, the study, and this is really funny to me, it cracks me up that like almost no pastors are willing to really comment on this because <laughs> they don't want to be, they don't know how it's, yeah, uh, they don't know how it's going to be, you know, um, <laughs> accepted, <laughs> taken. What? Yeah. Um, <laughs> The data in revisiting the tithe and offerings, the latest release in Barna's The State of uh, Generosity series, published in partners with uh, Generis and Glue, found that only a minority of Americans who identify as Christians give 10% of their income to the church in practice, too. Researchers surveyed 2016 U.S. adults. Um, to arrive at the most recent conclusion showing no consensus among pastors on the practice that has been renounced uh, by high-profile pastors such as televangelist Creflo Dollar in recent months. While most pastors in the study don't see giving outside the church as tithing, 70% said tithing doesn't have to be strictly financial. And when it comes to how much financial giving should be acceptable tithe, only 33% are in favor of the traditional 10%. Another 21% of pastors didn't recommend any particular share of income that Christians should give, Mm -hmm. but suggested that it should be enough to be considered sacrificial. A nearly similar share of pastors, 20%, said Christians should give as much as they are willing. That, that's, that to me, is the correct response, by the way. Yeah. It's um, where your heart is. Because if you're doing yeah. it out of necessity or out of law, because you're trying to follow a law or keep a commandment, then, right. know, then that's, that's not a true gift. It's it's really interesting to me because this this whole idea, in fact, of tithing or the word tithing, has gone like you know. Whenever we were growing up, it was it was really taught in in our churches. I don't know about y'all, but we were like hammered with with tithing yeah. in our churches <clears throat> growing up. Our our, our uh, my heritage of faith did not um, did not hold to tithing. They considered it an Old Testament uh, practice that was "quote unquote" nailed to the cross, uh, <laughs> and they yeah. own, and they even refused to use that word. Like they would, they would call it the contribution. Well, uh, I think that your uh, your tradition of faith is winning out because only two out of five U.S. adults in the study said that they were familiar with the term tithe and could provide a definition. <laughs> In today's society, only two out of five U.S. adults in the church say that they know what a tithe is. Mm. That's pretty interesting. That blows me away. Uh, The study further noted that only 21% of Christians were found to give 10% of their income to the local church, while 25% didn't give to their church at all. Among practicing Christians, the study found that 42% gave at least the traditional 10% to their church. So, I mean, 42%, that ain't bad honestly, mm. for giving. But uh, I think that we should talk about giving in the church. And, Let's do it. And that we might get a little lost in the woods. Oh, yeah. But uh, but it'd be really fun to uh, 
to discuss anyways. But yeah, this concept of tithing, I really, I didn't even look into it until about 2011. And it blew my mind when I actually studied the tithe. And uh, it's one of the things that uh, I really had to come to grips with um, in my Southern Baptist heritage, (laughs) as it were. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting. All right, so how about some uh, Christian history? All right. Let me find my button. Oh, for the TARDIS. TARDIS. For the TARDIS? We haven't heard that thing in over a year. All right, so today in Christian history, the hymn Sweet Hour of Prayer was first published. Do you know who wrote Sweet Hour of Prayer. Uh, I do not. A guy by the name of William Walford. He was blind um, from birth. This is really cool. Um, he was he was born in the 1800s. He was blind from birth, but he was called upon to preach from time to time in his rural English church, and he composed sermons in his head to deliver on Sundays. He memorized a huge amount of the Bible, which he quoted verbatim in his sermons. Some of his people thought that he had memorized the entire <laughs> Bible cover to cover, and he also composed verses of lines, and of course he prayed, right? And wow. so... That's right. So uh, the story goes, Thomas Salmon, a New York native, spent time with uh, time in Colas Hill um, in England where he became acquainted with William. And he tells a tale of what happened one day while he was visiting the, poor, visiting the blind pastor. Uh, he says, he repeated two or three pieces which he had composed and having no friend at home to commit them to paper, he had laid them up in the storehouse within. In other words, he'd memorized them. <laughs> How will this do, he asked me, as he repeated the following lines with a complacent smile, touched with some light lines of fear, lest he subject himself to criticism. I rapidly copied the lines with my pencil as he uttered them and sent them for insertion into the observer, if you think they're uh, worthy of preservation. And they definitely did. So on September 13th, 1845, they published it, and this was the first stanza. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of, di- seasons of distress and grief, my soul is oft found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return. Sweet hour of prayer. Ah. It's one of my favorite hymns yeah, ever. Good. And it's really cool. I love these stories, these, these backstories. I mean, guy's blind from birth, mm. and uh, and he memorizes Scripture and preaches from a pulpit and composes one of the greatest hymns in Christian history. So that is my Today in Christian History. Yay. Pretty cool, yeah. huh? That's all I got, man. All right. You about ready to kill this sucker? Yeah, let's do it. Let's kill it like Jairus' right. daughter. To be re- oh wow! <laughs> to be reborn to be again, resurrected anew. next week. <laughs> All right, dude. Let's do All it. All right. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. Check out our pop culture podcast, Theopop. Sometime we'll do that. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher, and be sure to rate us because that helps us 
reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us an email to info at theonotspodcast.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Find us on Instagram using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts. And if you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David Gaddy. We'll see you next time. This has been Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. Is the uh, milk drinkers in my congregation? Is this meat going to be too much for them to swallow? <laughs>